Marina Mine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Thinking Aloud About Film. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. And today we'll be talking about Hugo Fregonese, who seems to have been the major uh, discovery of this year's Ritrovato. Eizan uh, uh, Koschbacht uh, did a survey of uh, what was the revelation uh, for uh, critics, what they thought uh, the, the revelatory film was for them, the revelation of the festival, and also what their favorite film was. And it was surprising how individual Hugo Fregonese films mm. came up on top in so many of those categories. Uh, so um, what did you see of Fregonese, Richard? And uh, what did you think? I think we should probably go through them one by one subsequently. Yeah, I saw. I didn't see all the... I started off seeing a few and then enjoyed them and so started swapping my bookings around and saw more, which is always a, always a good sign. Because And there was really good kind of word of mouth on these films um, during the festival. So um, and I've also caught up on a couple afterwards. In, I guess, in, in chronological order of production, I saw... Um, hardly a criminal, the Argentinian one, which I, I know you've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, one Way Street with James Mason, uh, Saddle Tramp, Apache Drums, um, Blowing Wild, Man in the Attic, The Raid, Black Tuesday, and Seven Thunders. So that's quite a lot of Freganese. Yeah, <laughs> so I think you've seen almost all of them. Uh, I was a real snoot. Actually, because I thought, you know, with all these restored masterpieces available to see, you know, and all of these, um, you know, uh, Japanese films and films from Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia and early cinema, I'm not going to waste my time, you know, on on American B films that you can see anywhere. So uh, and it was a real mistake, in fact, because, you know, when I saw Seven Thunders, I thought, oh, this is fantastic. Right. That was the only film, the only Fregonese film that I saw at the festival. Uh, so Seven Thunders was the only one I saw. Mm. And then, you know, that blew me away. But by then it was too late. I think that was the last <laughs> Fregonese film uh, uh, available to see. And uh, it's proven very difficult to get good copies of Fregonese films. They're not easily available. I was really wrong in assuming, you know, that these B films uh with quite some of them with quite big stars uh, mm. were actually as easily available as I had assumed them to be. But I have also now seen quite a lot. Uh, so um, and and really, you know, kind of I have been blown away by them. So let's begin by talking about them in uh, uh, chronological order. So uh, Apenas un delincuente. Yeah, so this was his um, I think it was his final Argentinian film before he went to Hollywood. Um, really enjoyed this one. It's kind of a film noir based on two true stories, um, so they, which have been kind of amalgamated to be about the same guy who's a, a um, I imagine you identified with this quite a bit because it's a kind of amoral, money-grabbing <laughs> guy called Jose who exploits all his friends and mm. just does everything for personal financial gain. Yeah, um, right. So I imagine based on your life story, um, yeah. he so he he, um, he works as a clerk. He's a, a kind of a wages clerk or something, and he he works out that you know, he steals a few thousand pesos, but then works out he gets the same jail sentence, however much money he steals. So he steals hundreds of thousands of pesos, 
which he then hides and goes to prison um, on the grounds he'll be able to get get the money when he's out. And then this leads to a whole chain of events and, you know, other gangsters knowing about the money and breaking out of prison so they can, uh, you know, get him to take them to the money, this kind of thing. And it, this was kind of a common thread among these films, I think, sort of, you know, groups of men, you know, a, a loner who's trying to fight the system and then another group of men are trying to exploit that person and everyone grasping around for money and it then leading to an explosion of violence at the end of the film. It's sort of, the, you know, you, you could see this happening over and over again. So yeah, mm. I really enjoyed that one. What I loved about this film was its sense of place. Yeah. So, you know, I love that it was set in Buenos Aires, that it's an Argentine story um, that uses all the, the devices. It's really like uh, cinematically inventive and literate. And, you know, it's got almost everything that you saw in Warner Brothers films of the 1930s. Right. You know, in that fast pace and so on. Uh, but set in Buenos Aires and also you know, with a real sense of fatalism. So the film begins in the final chase sequence. So, so from the very beginning, you know this character is doomed, right? Uh, and uh, you have this montage sequence at the beginning talking about, you know, the, the franticness of city life and, you know, how city life sets up these desires and, you know, and so on. And of course, you could see that the, the whole film is kind of an indictment of a culture which has all these delights, all these pleasures on offer, but they're not for him, right? They're not for this little clerk who's stuck supporting a brother and a mother and yeah, who can't marry his girlfriend because he doesn't have enough money to, right? So you can feel his frustration and yeah. Uh, uh, so, so I love that, you know, it's a real anti-hero in the film. Yeah, he has real sympathy. At the end of the film, he says something, you know, uh, you know, this wasn't a criminal. He was barely a delinquent, which is actually, you know, the literal English translation of the title. Yeah, barely mm. a delinquent, right? And yet his whole life is doomed because he wants what the culture promises, but won't give him, right? So, and I think that this is really like something that we see all across Fregonese's films, yeah? People who are on the move, people who are displaced, yeah, people who, uh, you know, are dissatisfied, yeah, are in places that they don't belong. Or, you know, you see this also like in Seven Thunders, right? Kind of, you know, British people in Marseille, prisoners of war escaping. Yeah, you see it in the raid, the Confederate soul. Yeah, so it's kind mm -hmm. of, there are kind of recurring themes uh, that one sees. And that sense of fast-paced, exciting dissatisfaction, there's a shot you know, which is almost like in Citizen Kane, yeah, where, you know, the truck is racing, right? And all of a sudden it freezes and it turns into a newspaper headline, right? Mm -hmm. You know, kind of, uh, that's just, yeah, kind of so inventive. It's a, it's a filmmaker who's really aware of what's happening in cinema uh, at the moment. Uh, so tell me about One Way Street, which I did not see. Yeah, so this was uh, his first Hollywood film and it was also James Mason's first Hollywood film. Um, so it was kind of had had some similarities with with Holy Criminal. So James Mason is a, a doctor who's working for the mob, um, and he um, 
again, he carries out a scam. Again, he steals $200,000. That always seems to be the amount of money that you steal if you're in a Freganese film. It's, it's always $200,000. Um, so he, he tells the gangster that he, he injects the gangster with something and then tells him he's poisoned him. Um, and he's going to die in 24 hours unless the doctor phones up with the antidote. And then he, go, he, he heads off with the money. Um, and the, the, this then obviously leads to the plot spirals out of control. They, you know, James Mason and, and his girlfriend try to fly to Mexico City. They end up having to make an emergency landing near this village. And he then, they then kind of stay in this village for an extended period where no one knows where they are. People think he might be dead. And he ends up working as the as a vet initially, sort of <laughs> helping to cure sick animals in the village, and then helping to cure. You know, there's a small child who's dying, and he doesn't manage to save the child, but he he then saves everyone else, and then he's he's kind of redeeming himself. But then, is he going to be able to escape his past? And I'll you know, spoiler alert: well, this is a freaking easy film, so yeah, no, he he isn't able to escape his past. You know, um, so it, it, it it's great. So again, you get this sort of grasp for money and and someone who. Yeah, he's been working for the mob, but he's not been getting any benefit from it. He just wants that benefit. But then he's got a conscience and then he's sort of, um, you know, stuck where he shouldn't be stuck, you know, in the middle of nowhere in Mexico. There's another common thing in a lot of these films that there's a, a kind of religious figure will be a sort of priest or shaman or whatever will, 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 will turn up. So this one has a priest who, who kind of both persuades him to become a doctor and then kind of inadvertently gives away his location. And, and um, yeah, so that, 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 that was a great one and really worth tracking down if you can find it. Okay, good. And Saddle Tramp, which I also have not been able to see. Um, so Saddle Tramp, um, I wasn't so keen on that one. It was a, more of a kind of comedy, um, sort of heartwarming uh, comedy Western, which was, uh, was not what I was expecting. But John McRae plays this um, drifter who um, in, in, in the West, in the US West, and he uh, stays with an old friend who has these four kind of adorable boy, you know, little, little boys aged about four to 11 or something. And then that, that night, the father dies in an accident. So John McRae has to sort of take charge of these four, four boys. It kind of is, I mean, actually, it would make a really good premise for a, a long running Western drama series, I think. But it, it, it was good, but it didn't really, to me, it didn't really fit with the rest of the season. Um, but it was interesting. The films are the uneven, you know. Yeah, the, um, exactly. I mean, he's not a, you know, the, these were not, I, I don't think we can really make a claim for any of these being great masterpieces of world cinema. I think you can. I think you can about some of them. I'll, I'll be yeah. making that claim. Okay. Yeah. The, the, um, the good ones are very good, but there was there were a few that were not so good. And, uh, you know, so, but, you know, the good ones were so good that it did. It does make you want to seek out the rest if you can. Mm. I mean, he is a B film director who didn't have control over the elements, who didn't have first choice on anything really on uh, uh, cinematographers, set designers, and primarily actors, right? So, um, or, or you know, I mean, I, I imagine he had a certain control over subject matter. I mean, he, he must have picked films have been offered films but even then i'm not sure how many options he had so we have to look at him in that light mm -hmm. you know i saw harry black and the tiger you know which i thought was so dull and you know the only it has some great moments though right so there's this tiger kind of um on the loose in in, in near this indian village right 
And the film begins with this extraordinary silent sequence where, you know, the, the drums roll, the tiger is approaching, <laughs> everybody flees, you know, but one woman and her baby loiters too long and pew, <laughs> the tiger has them as a snack, right? It's a fantastic opening, right? And then the rest of the film was shooting the tiger and boring Stuart Granger, and blah, right? So, so yeah, you, you, you can only make certain claims, yeah, uh, uh, for for most of his films. Uh, uh, Apache drums. Yeah, so that was great. There was a. Have you, have you seen that one? I, I have, and I think this is one of the masterpieces, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, this is this was a uh, a new restoration of it. So hopefully that will be getting getting some form of release. Um, and yeah, as, as you say, a, a small small budget western. I read somewhere it's you know the, it's made on the the minimum possible budget for technical a film. Um, $400,000 or something like that. Um, again, it's, you know, there's an outsider, he's a gambler, he's you know, thrown out of his community, partly by the priest. So again, there's a priest who's, who's there's a group of prostitutes, so you quite often see that, that in pregnancy films too. Um, but then on the outskirts, you know, you have the, the Apaches and massing and, and, and playing their drums. You know, you, it, it does live up to the title, there are plenty of drums. Um, but you, because of the small budget, you end up with this final sequence where they're all trapped in this big. I think they're trapped in the church. They're trapped in the you church. You only see the, yeah. You only see the Apaches. You don't see them. They're they're outside playing the drums, and just yeah. every so often one of them leaps through one of the windows, and, and it's it's a very effective sequence and sort of making them most of the fact they can't afford to have a massive. It's an know, amazing hundred, sequence, yeah. actually. You know, visually, it's stunning. You know, because all you see is like these windows kind of backlit in red with these painted Apaches, sometimes jumping through, sometimes just creating the sense of threat that they might come through. Right. So so I think this is one of the films that I would argue is a masterpiece. It begins with a title card saying something like, you know, the Macalero Apaches or something like that uh, are now stuck because an artificial border has been created between Mexico and uh, uh, the United States through their land. So they're starving and they have no way out but to attack, right? So it kind of, it's not the usual treatment of, you know, uh, uh, Indians in uh, American Westerns. And then this thing about the outsiderness, right? You know, kind of who belongs, who doesn't belong, kind of, you know, it's almost like the opposite of the Western because, you know, the Western is about bringing civilization in. So the school and the church at the end. Here, it starts at the beginning, yeah, kind of, we're already all settled and wealthy and prosperous. We don't want any hookers and gamblers in our town leave, right? Yeah, that's how yeah, the film begins. Exactly. They, th they, th they throw the hookers out who then get massacred. The gambler they also throw out, he finds the massacred prostitutes, comes back to town to warn them, and they just don't, they don't believe them. Just sort of yes. Throw, um, throw them out. So, so I think it's brilliant, really. And also you have, you know, the whole movement of the priest you know, becoming more and more tolerant, more and more open-minded, until at the end, he's kneeling with the Apache, who is praying to his own gods, right? I mean, I think, you know, that is just beautiful. It's very interesting to hear Bertrand Tavernier talk about this film. You know, he does the introduction mm -hmm. to the French DVD of it. And he talks about why he thinks it's okay. a masterpiece, you know, and he mentions all of these reasons, but also, the scene at the end in the church, yeah, 
where, you know, the church becomes kind of like a picture of hell in a way, right? Because, you know, mm -hmm. the only way they can defend themselves near the end is by putting the door on fire. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah, with, yeah. yeah, kind of uh, uh, the, the Apaches kind of coming in through the windows and the door, but them not knowing where, you know, and he talks mm -hmm. really wonderfully about how all of the space in uh, the interior of the church is anchored by uh, the leading lady's green dress. Yeah, so it's all kind of muted colors. Yeah, but then you have like this bright green dress. Yeah, that kind of situates you visually in the yeah. space, no matter where you are. And I think that's right, it's terrific. You know, and then there's all this religious imagery in the church, this Pieta figures, you know, mother and children waiting to be killed, right? I mean, I think it's just an extraordinary mm -hmm. film. Again, you know, characterized by the sense of ambiguity, yeah, of, uh, uh, you know, that kind of, there's no moral certainties, you know, the gambler ends up being kind of the good person, you know, the good person ends up getting killed, yeah, uh, but by being good, right, I mean, his goodness is not erased in that, you know, uh, the priest uh, 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 comes to a different point of view. And then these villagers who are originally Welsh miners and who sing those Welsh songs, yeah, in church, yeah, are themselves the displaced mm -hmm. figures that you see in Fregonese film, yeah, film after film. I think this is a really, yeah. this yeah. is truly a great film. Um, Okay, so yeah, yeah. we've uh, we haven't seen my six convicts. Um, uh, no, didn't see that one or the Cameron Knights. Or the Cameron Knights. Um, so um, let's move on to Blowing Wild, <laughs> which yeah, I thought was which I, I didn't see the festival, but I've, I've caught up with subsequently. Yeah, I thought I thought it was great. Yeah, I watched it last night. Um, it's again about displaced people. You know, this time uh, Anthony Quinn, Gary Cooper, Ward Bond. Uh, and Barbara Stanwyck are in some Latin American country searching for oil. Uh, mm -hmm. And basically it's a triangle. Barbara Stanwyck is married to Anthony Quinn, but really she wants Gary Cooper. And Ruth Roman is there just waiting for, you know, Gary Cooper to pay some attention to her. <laughs> so uh, I think what this thing, it's visually brilliant. It's exciting to watch, you know, with like uh, a fantastic sequence with Barbara Stanwyck on a horse racing against uh, Anthony Quinn uh, and Gary Cooper in a car. But I think what distinguishes it from all the other uh, uh, Fregonese films I've seen is the quality of the acting. And you could see what he could have done, you know, had he had better actors at his disposal. Because Yeah, because this is a really A-list cast, isn't it? It's an A-list cast. And some of the things that Barbara Stanwyck does, you know, are just extraordinary, right? Uh, and so, you know, the interplay between Gary Cooper, who does lovely things with, you know, very few gestures or looks, right, kind of uh, uh, are fantastic. And then, you know, there were moments where um, Barbara Stanwyck, a simple little tiny facial uh, uh, expression registers so much, you know, like a, the disgust with Anthony Quinn. And it also made me think of the difference between what actors do and what film directors do with and to actors through mise-en-scene. You know, because again, there's that brilliant scene where um, 
Gary Cooper points the flashlight, yeah, as mm. at Barbara Stanwyck as she appears in his room. And it really is like the flashlight is kind of undressing her, but then focusing on her face, yeah? Yeah, yes. Yeah. You know, she's evil. <laughs> so I thought, you know, that was like a brilliant film. Again, the sense of displacement, you know, of people on the move, of people outside their natural habitat. Yeah, kind of those really, that restlessness, the dissatisfaction, uh, those do seem to be kind of characteristic of, of Fregonese's work. Mm. Uh, and again, yeah. you know, I think this is this is another wonderful film, really. It's, it's uh, you know, yeah, it's no, one it's that really, I want to see again. And as the programme points out, uh, both Cooper and Quinn won Oscars while they were filming this film. So, ah. um, so the the Oscar ceremony where uh, Gary Cooper got it got the the Oscar for High Noon and. Um, Anthony Quinn got best supporting actor for Viva Zapata. That happened while they were filming Blown Wild. So oh, wow. presumably, when when Blown Wild was released, it was expected to be a big deal. You know, and yeah. I think he did that well. But it's kind of feature yeah. starring. You, know, you you release the next film with the two acting Oscar winners of the previous year is quite a big thing. Yeah. So uh, well. Um... I don't know whether it was a success or not. It deserved to be a success, really. It apparently, I, 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 read really implied not. I read something earlier that implied it, well, it wasn't a financial success. It wasn't. Oh, well, too bad. Um, the, the other interesting thing is, is the, the sequence that's, and again, it's purely coincidental because they were being filmed at the same time. Um, there's a sequence that's very similar to Wages of Fear with the transporting the nitroglycerin in the truck on the bumpy roads. And it, it's so similar, but, the, but, but must be purely coincidence because... They're both being filmed simultaneously. When I saw the sequence, I thought I must check the dates, you yeah. know, because it must have been something that was in the air. Another film set in yeah. a Latin American country. Well, the, this is from Aysen's program. He says Wages of Fear was made at the same time, but released earlier. So it's, mm. it's just just one of those one of those things. But maybe, maybe there'd been maybe the news stories. So. Right. Okay. Um, the the other thing I found interesting was, and again, this thing about the. The festival and just making connections between the different films you see is this one of three films shown at the festival that were all revolving around like they were 50s films about contemporary oil production or oil, oil drilling so there was this there was giant there was written on the wind and all with these basic plots that would then be recycled in the 80s by dallas and dynasty in, uh -huh. in their um the basic premise that you would have a love triangle revolving around a an oil magnet and an engineer and this is all all those three films are about that and so it's kind of interesting there was something in the air in the 50s about that that was then picked up in the 80s in a very successful way and then of course barbara stanwick appeared in the colby's which is a spin-off well exactly. a spin -off and, or a copy and of in dynasty and, and yeah it's so 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 it is a, i don't know whether there's any any writing about this but it, I, I do find it interesting that you know you had the big growth of Western films in the, I guess, in the 40s and 50s, picked up in the 70s on TV, 60s and 70s on TV. Westerns went out of favour on TV. And so they started, I think, looking at these kind of oral exploration narratives that were then kind of displaced the Westerns on, on television. It's uh, just a sort of... I want to pick up on one of the things that Esan says about uh, Fregonese, which is that his women are always like docile or you know, housewives or, yeah, good girls. And I think that's certainly true of The Raid. 
It's certainly true of Apache drums and so on, but it's definitely not true of Blowing Wild. I mean, no, you know, it's, it's Barbara Stanwyck at her most deliciously evil. And, you know, um, she gives such a great performance. There's a moment in the film where, you know, Anthony Quinn says something like, uh, he goes to kiss her and she rejects him. You know, he says, oh, she likes it rough or something. And then, you know, she embraces him. Like, you know, she makes you feel just with her arms that she does like it rough, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, uh, and of course, Ruth Roman in the film, you know, is basically a good time girl catching drinks and rooms and so on from men. Mm. I mean, you know, I mean, she's basically, by the terms of the time, a prostitute, right? Uh, so a prostitute uh, uh, with standards, <laughs> maybe, yeah? But, you know, if she's not sleeping with the men, she's putting a good show of wanting to, uh, yeah. uh, or of, of, of her willingness to do so in exchange for other things. Uh, so I think this is another really fantastic film. Um, Man in the Attic. Man in the Attic I was less keen on. It was, did, have you seen it? I have. Okay. Um, it, so, it's a, so it's a remake of The Lodger. Um, or, well, it's, it's based on the same story as, as Hitchcock's The Lodger. Apparently it's based on the same script as the, as the 1940s version of The Lodger. And this is based on that rather than his composition. Um, the key difference being, um, spoiler alert, in this one he actually is Jack the Ripper. Um, so it, it's it's okay, it, it's it's quite fun, but I, I didn't think it was a great film. No, I didn't. I didn't think much of it either. I thought it had some really beautiful things, though. You know, so uh, uh, Jack Palance as the Jack the Ripper character, you know, is both the hunted. Yeah, and the hunter. And that is really kind of beautifully visualized in the film. He's nervous, he's moving from place to place. You know, you get the sense nobody likes him and nobody accepts him and he's forced to move. Mm -hmm. And the film, you know, is obviously playing with the idea that he's innocent or he might be innocent, yeah, until mm -hmm. the end. Uh, and that's all very interesting. And it has like some fantastic chase sequences in the London fog. Yeah, with the horses and so on. It's, it's beautiful imagery and a fantastic image of Jack Palance's face next to a noose. Yeah, kind of, you know, I, you know, he's the one who's strangling the women, but the noose is close to his head as well. Um, but I thought it really trite. This is one where you see how his films suffer from actors who are just not up to it. I mean, all of the secondary characters here you know, Jack Palance is the only one who's really good, right? Um, mm -hmm. His his love interest, uh, which um, I don't have my glasses, so I can't see who the actress is. Um, but, Constance you know, Smith. Yeah, she's, she's... The film is one of those films that's more interesting for what happens around it than what happens in it, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, she... Uh, was someone who subsequently married film critic, filmmaker, documentary, uh, a, a great figure in documentary filmmaking, which is Paul Rotha. Yeah. And then she got arrested for stabbing him. <laughs> yeah. And then they got together again. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those relationships where they, 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 they got together and broke up several times, you know, until the 70s. Mm -hmm. 
and she had a sad, sad end. Uh, I think she was a char lady, an alcoholic char lady, uh, you know, uh, uh, at the end. Um, and I was also fascinated by uh, the trailer for the film, right? Uh -huh. Because Jack Palance had just done Sudden Fear and uh, Shame, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, 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 the trailer puts Jack Palance as the great new star of Hollywood cinema. And of course, it's so interesting because it never quite came to be. Right? Yeah, in a few years, he'd be making films in Italy, right? And in supporting roles, yeah, in contempt and things like that, right? Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's one of those uh, crepuscular moments, yeah, uh, in an actor's career that the trailer captures uh, yeah. so well. So any last word on The Man in the Attic? Nothing, you know, it's, it's a fun, fun film, but I think if you, if that was the only Freganese you saw at the festival, you'd think, what, what's the fuss about? Yeah. Um, okay, uh, this brings us to The Raid. Yeah, The Raid, I, I really, I really loved it. It's one, I think it may have been my favourite of the, of the Strand. Um, so this is a, again, it's a group of outsiders, in this case they're Confederate soldiers, they're in a prisoner of war camp. Um, somewhere near the Canadian border. Um, they're led by um, uh, Van Heflin and his sidekick is, is um, Peter Graves. And so this is one of two films because the, the next film also features Peter Graves as the sidekick in Prison Breakout. So they, they escape from the prison of war camp and go to Canada uh, mm -hmm. where they then re-enter the United States um, in order to stage a raid on a on this kind of border town to then kind of you know distract the troops the, the the union troops from wherever they are you know so 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 it's kind of um and it the morality of it is interesting because you're, you know, you're following these central characters but basically they're you know they're the central characters that are on the wrong side of history in the american civil war and and they're and they're aiming to destroy this town but there, there's a slight moral ambivalence as so some of them are very very vicious very ruthless the Van Heflin character is, is having doubts and he starts falling in love with Anne Bancroft and, and um, saying, okay, well, well, we'll, we'll blow up the bank and the shops and the bar, but we'll leave the houses and we'll leave the women and children. And, and, and so it's kind of, you've then got this sort of um, kind of debate going on between that group of men. You also have a priest again, um, who's uh, so at one point, you know, there's a lengthy scene in a, in a church again. Um, yeah, it's, I, I found it really interesting. What did you think? Well, I, I loved it as well. And again, it's another example of characters displaced, yeah, on the move, mm. uh, in unstable situations. Uh, it's very telling that when uh, Van Heflin goes to the town and stays in the boarding house that Anne Bancroft runs, you see the presence of a black butler or, yeah, servant throughout right because you know what is the civil war being fought uh, over well one yeah. of the things is yeah. slavery right so the film just puts the question there right so the hero is van heflin who is fighting for a system yeah uh, of slavery right yeah and on the other hand by the end of the film you again have this ambiguity because of course what has to happen and what happens subsequently is that these two sides so angry at each other and so destructive towards each other because it's a vengeance film 
Yeah, Van Heflin wants to make the North, you know, suffer what they suffered, right? Because his house, mm. his plantation got burned down, his wife got killed, right? So, so on the one hand, it's a military operation, but on the other hand, it's a revenge uh, film, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, he his vengefulness is altered by, you know, seeing that the people he's interacting with are very much like he is and like he wants to be and the children he'd like to have, but that the situation has made impossible. And again, it's one of those films with a very ambiguous ending. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. He doesn't yeah, no, get anything I, I, he I wants. Like it. Yeah. I found it interesting comparing it to the Wild Bunch as well, in terms of the uh-huh. sort of group staging the bank raid in the in the in the, in the, in the town. That was, that was obviously far less vicious than the Wild Bunch, but uh, I think there are similarities there. Uh-huh. Um, I think this Blowing Wild and Apache Drums to me are truly great films and that's quite mm-hmm. a lot in a, film, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a filmmaker's career particularly when we've only seen like 8-10 films yeah mm. um, now let's move on to Black Tuesday which everyone there's almost a consensus that this is the greatest of the bunch and I've not seen it so yeah, no, I, I, I would agree. I, I, uh-huh. so, I, I know I just said the raid was the best, but I decided because you haven't seen it, I'm going to say the Black Tuesday is the best. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what makes it the best? So it's made the same year as the raid, which is interesting. It's Again, it's a prison break film, again with Peter Graves. And in this case, um, it's black and white. They're on death row. So Edward G. Robinson is, is a gangster on death row. Peter Graves is a... Uh, he's killed a policeman, but also he's stolen. And this, you'll be by this stage, you, you're not really surprised to learn that Peter Graves has stolen two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> and hidden it somewhere. And no one, only Peter Graves knows where it is. So their plan is to Edward G. Robinson's plan is to break out of death row and um, take Peter Graves with him, who's also on death row, in order to make Peter Graves tell him where the money is. So again, it's kind of very similar to what happens in Hardwood Criminal, um, which is interesting. They take hostages, so they, they take a couple of the warders hostage, the priest who's, again, there's, there's a priest who's there to, um, you know, officiate it, or not, you know, sort of say prayers at the, at the execution, because um, they, they make the, the escape on the night of the execution. So they, they take a priest with them, there's a journalist that's with them, there's the daughter of one of the guards that's with them, um, and they all end up in this um, big, warehouse with very high windows so and this is, this is a point that Ace and Koshback made when he introduced Apache Drums that it's quite frequent in Freddie films that the final sequence is in a very big room with very high windows that people either come into or can't or go out of and and it is true because this happens again in Black Tuesday that they're you know they're, they're trying to escape through the windows or the police are trying to come in through the windows and it's just very tense the last half of the film is, is on this one set it's, it's the cinematography is by Stanley Cortez, who also did the Magnificent Anderson's, so it's kind of very amazing photography. But yeah, I, I, it's a really, really good film. It's only about 80 minutes, you know, it, it sort of just gets gets to the point and, and it, it, it grips you by the throat. <laughs> okay. It's really good. Um, uh, all right. Um, so uh, let's recap a little bit, uh, uh, Black Shoes Day. So you've told us the plot. But are there visual or thematic elements that you associate with Fregonese that, you know, are highlighted in the film? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the whole, you know, the idea of 
outsiders, the idea of the religious figure being trapped with no way out in a location at the end of the film and then kind of explosion into violence, very few people get out alive. It, it, it was very, very yeah, similar to the raid, similar to uh, Hardly Criminal, um, yeah, and this kind of constant search for money. Hmm. And how was Edward G. Robinson? Uh, he was great. Apparently it was the last time he played that sort of role. So, uh -huh. um, but yeah, he was, he, he was very good. Very good. He was kind of not, not really playing against Tiger, as you said. But so, yeah, he was great. Okay. Uh, the, the first film uh, of Fregonese's that I saw, and the last one uh, in the program, is Seven Thunders, uh, mm -hmm. which is um, a British film. Um, and, you know, it, I thought this was another amazing film. And part of the reason for it was because it's so, um, it's people on the run, it's people in hiding, people on the margins, yeah, kind of, you know, uh, uh, and, and the film is really sympathetic, yeah, to each of them. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, kind of where they stand in relation to the whole. Uh, it's also not cynical, but also aware of the tragedy of life. So, you know, the man who is meant to be helping Jews escape, yeah, uh, is in fact kind of a serial killer who takes all their money and murders them, right? Yeah, and, uh, uh, um, you know, the young girl who's the heroine is again kind of, you know, a street child, a thief. There's a suggestion that she might be doing a bit more than that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the landlady or the upstairs neighbor who's living next to a brothel uh, is in a relationship with a black man. Yeah, which is, you know, not commented on at all, but which I find quite extraordinary in this film. Yeah, um, yeah. Stephen yeah. Boyd is incredibly sexy in this film. Mm. Yeah, like he's just beautiful, really. Um, you know, kind of an incredible body and, uh, 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 and the look, yeah, uh, which I found kind of, you know, really, really striking. And of course, it's a film that's all about action. That's all about excitement. And the film does it incredibly well, yeah? Uh, you know, the, the, the locations in Marseille, which I imagine is not Marseille, but you really get a feel of the combination of the stock footage. And yeah, it, it looked like Marseille to me. I mean, I was there a few years ago, and it, it did look, the, 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 I mean, not everyone's on location. So Jake Robson Justice is only in the studio, but Stephen Boyd and, and, and the girl are. I'm on location somewhere. I don't know where it was filmed, but it's definitely this wasn't all filmed in a studio in the UK. You know, there's some no, like no. stuff going on. No, I, I know that it wasn't uh, all filmed in the studio, but it wasn't necessarily shot in Marseille. No, no, yeah, no. but it, and it, my understanding is it wasn't. Yeah, but yeah. it's a combination of on location shooting, yeah, uh, but not necessarily in Marseille, uh, with some in Marseille, and then stock footage all blended together to really give the impression that it is Marseille, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's really, really well done. Particularly the final sequence, which was, I thought was incredible. Yeah. So, so basically they're, they're all trying to escape Marseille at the same time that the Nazis are bombing, kind of dynamiting the old town. And they, they, they convey this with a mix of you know, studio work, a bit of location work, what seems to be stock footage, and then sometimes the stock footage is, is back projected 
with the characters running around in front of it and the, the camera shaking as the dynamite goes off. And it sounds, which sounds like it's going to be cheesy, but, but actually it, 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 watching it on the big screen was just incredibly effective. And even, even though you're, you know, you're totally aware, you know, it's, it's really obvious sometimes that you're watching the stock footage, but it just worked brilliantly. I think it's a, a very effective sequence. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, it's the, it's the film that made me pay attention to Fragonet, mm. right? Because, uh, you know, I thought with a slightly more upscale cast, this would have been a huge hit. I mean, it's so kind of dynamic to watch and exciting, mm. you know? And also it's a, it's a real combination of a complexity of um, characterization and place and ethics of situations. So for example, right, the Frenchman who's, who's helping you know, uh, people get out and who's got no idea that he's le leading them to a serial killer, the whole relationship between him and his wife, they don't, they don't love each other anymore. They're there for the child. Yeah, like in a very few brief images, you get the sense of a really complex relationship that kind of, you know, is tired and bitter and so on. The same with the upstairs neighbor and her black husband. You just see the husband kind of walk through the corridor and already mm. you get a, a sense of a much more complex relationship, you know, than is otherwise indicated, right? Uh, and of course, you know, the whole ethics of, you know, why are you there for, who are you helping, how are you resisting, yeah, and so on. It's so much more than you get in an ordinary war film, right? Mm -hmm. So the combination of that complexity and then the excitement, the dynamism, the, the wonderful way the action is depicted to render it exciting, I thought this would have been a huge hit with, I don't know, William Holden or somebody in the same period. Yeah, yeah. And, and certainly comparing it to other war films, but particularly comparing it to other British war films of the 1950s. British war films of the 1950s and World War II are generally really boring. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, the you know, British war films about World War II made during World War II generally great. The ones made in the 50s, kind of looking back in this sort of like waiting way, are not, not so great. And so, and to compare these examples? Uh, well, I'd say uh, to, to pick a, a, a name director, I'd say Battle of the River Plate, the Dan Burst film, which is just the, the most tedious. Let's see who's listening to this, but basically Back of the River Place, the most tedious film ever made, um, <laughs> despite having a great cast and great, uh, and, you know, visually looks great, but it's just really, really boring. And you compare that to what Palin Pressburg were doing when they were making kind of semi-propaganda films and actually during the war, which were great, you know. So I, I think, it, I, I don't know, there was, there was just this sort of um, different approach, and you know, it was much more kind of uh, flag-waving nostalgia but this is this one isn't like waving the sound really. It's quite cynical. It's quite very dark. Mm. Um, it's it's great. And uh, but it, yeah, but it's this cast of you know, you know uh, Kathleen Harrison is this, uh, normally turns well, well I say she normally turns up in British films as a kind of Cockney char lady saying oh, yeah, hello dearie. Mm. <laughs> um, she she plays exactly the same character in this. It's just she happens to be living in Marseille. Yeah, a black guy, but she is a Cockney child, and it's quite it's quite interesting. Um, but but yeah, I I I, I thought it was really good, and and, and, and I think the, the reception to it, and particularly the reception to it as a British film, which often don't go down very well in Ritravato, was was really really positive. Yes. Um, before we move to wrap up uh, this section on Fragonese, 
I also want to talk about Savage Pampas because, mm. you know, basically I just made a mistake and I thought this was one of the films that was shown at Ritrovato and it wasn't, you know, but I saw it. Uh, it's from 1965 with Robert Taylor, a Western also filmed in Argentina in 70 millimeter, you know, uh, in gorgeous color. Did you see it? Did I send you I, that? I did. I watched it this morning and I, and I think it, it's, uh, it's actually, I think it would look amazing on the screen. It, look, it looks gorgeous, doesn't it? it? Uh, all those scenes with like cords and horses, just yes. frames, it's amazing. It's, I think it's amazing. I mean, I think it's, it's thematically crude, right? Yeah, because it really is about the Argentine army rounding up uh, uh, dissidents, you know, in uh, a faraway place. But the thing is that the dissidents and the Indians have women. So, you know, they can't keep people from deserting because these men are desperate for women. So the whole thing about women, women as exchange, I mean, I was quite shocked at the beginning because, you know, the beginning, they say, okay, here, you can have this woman. And the women have been captured. So you're saying like, you, you, it's really like, here, you can rape this woman. That's <laughs> really what they're saying, right? You know, which I found a bit shocking. Yeah. Uh, I felt different when, you know, when the hookers come in, right? Because they're there to make their fortune and fine, mm -hmm. right? But, but with the captured women, it, yeah, it, it made me very queasy. Yeah. Um, so, so I think the film is thematically crude, but it's almost an example of a great B movie because the action sequences are fantastic. You know, the mm -hmm. camera on the floor, that's the horses tumble. Yeah, the geography of the chase sequences, uh, the horseback sequences are amazing. You know, it's really exciting to watch. It looks beautiful, you know, and the kind of, you know, every shot is interesting to look at really. Uh, and I think that is characteristic of uh, Fregonese's work uh, in general. Yeah, and the interesting thing, other interesting about it is it's kind of full circle because it was a remake of his first film. Um, ah. It's a 1945 film called Pablo Albarra. Apparently, it's the same story. So, mm. so um, let's wrap up Fregonese. Kind of, you know, what any any overarching views on his themes, his style, and also, I suppose, his value as a director. I, I think he's a very interesting director. I think, you know, we just, you know, of the films we've talked about, there were a couple that were not so great, but generally, they're all really, really impressive. I think, you know, the reaction he got from the majority of people who saw the films at the festival were, you know, then we're talking people who, people who know cinema, you know, people from BFI, people from whatever archives saying, you know, it, it's a, I didn't think it's for most people he was a new name, even though they may well have seen some of the films. Um, mm. you know, I think, or whatever. But I think so much of that depends on the angle that we look at it. I was watching mm. some critics speaking in Spanish from the Argentine Cinematheque, you know, talking about Apenas un Delicuente as one of the great uh, Argentine films of all time in their view, the greatest Argentine film of the 1940s, right? So if you, I, I'd be curious to see more of his Argentinian films. Uh, if then you look at Apache Drums and The Raid and Blowing Wild, you know, so much better and so much more interesting than so many A films of the period, you know, and in my view, Apache Drums really a masterpiece. Yeah, with The Raid not too far behind and, and people claiming that Black Tuesday is even better right 
you know, and then kind of Seven Thunders, which I think deserves another look. I mean, I, I want to see it again because I thought it was, mm. it was thrilling. I mean, you know, I, I, I think there is a rediscovery of this director as, you know, a director who worked on, on B budgets, but ended up making films that were so much more than B films. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is a you know, this is the Richard Arthur's and take a, a, a director who people aren't familiar with and make a case for their kind of oeuvre as a kind of a tourist thing. And it doesn't always work. But this year, it really, it really did work. You know, I think, uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot of really interest, and hopefully, that may be picked up by you know, a lot of other cinemas, a lot of other artists, and perhaps it will be picked up and reflected as well. Mm, good. I think, uh, well, congratulations to Asan uh, Koshbach. That was his program, and I think clearly a, a very, very successful one. Uh, we will return with more Henri Trovato. Uh, we have a Peter Lorre. Uh, uh, session uh, set up, and we'll also be doing one on Sophia Loren. Uh, but for now, thank you very much for watching or listening. Uh, we are talking a lot about film. I'm Jose. Richard. Bye bye. Marina Man set me free. Free from black gold, our love never can be.